Okay, this is Gynecologic Healthcare, Chapter 20, Segment 3. It is the last segment in this chapter, and it should be fairly short. It starts on page 394 with insemination procedures. Insemination procedures may be used to treat infertility or by women who wish to conceive but do not have a male partner. For example, women who are single or who have female partners. Depending on the circumstances, sperm may be obtained from a heterosexual couple's male partner, a known donor, or an anonymous donor, and insemination may be used with natural cycles or in conjunction with ovulation induction. Insemination must be precisely timed based on the woman's natural or treatment cycle. Sperm for IUI may be obtained by a man masturbating to collect semen in a sterile cup, which is loaded into a catheter and either placed in the vagina in the cervix, which is intracervical insemination or ICI, or directly into the uterus, IUI, bypassing the cervix. For ICI and IUI, the semen is spun in a centrifuge to remove the seminal plasma, creating a more highly concentrated specimen of motile sperm that is then injected. When using donor sperm, FDA requirements mandate that the sperm donor have testing to rule out STIs prior to insemination. The sperm is usually frozen, so the testing can be completed and results received as close to the time of sperm production as possible. Although the sperm centrifuge procedure requires certain equipment and experience, performing the insemination is a simple office procedure. A needleless syringe is used for vaginal insemination. For ICI and IUI, the sperm are inserted into the cervix or uterus, respectively, via a flexible catheter attached to a syringe that contains the sperm. The training and supplies needed for insemination procedures are minimal. Therefore, all women's healthcare providers, not just REI specialists, can easily provide these services and in doing so, offer increased continuity of care for women and their families. Tubal blockage. Historically, tubal disease was treated surgically with fimbrioplasty or cannulation. However, poor pregnancy outcomes and poor tubal mucosal health post-procedure coinciding with the availability of IVF has made surgical tubal repair relatively obsolete in the United States. One exception is if a hydrosalpinx is present, even in cases where fallopian tube is bypassed, such as with IVF. The fluid in the tubes can have detrimental effects on endometrial receptivity and embryo development. However, there are conflicting opinions about the standard of care for women with infertility and hydrosalpinx. Luteal phase support. Management of short luteal phase is controversial. The practice committee of the ASRM does not recommend treating luteal phase insufficiency in natural and unstimulated cycles. They do not recommend treating conditions that could cause abnormal luteal function, such as hyperprolactinemia and thyroid disorders. Taylor et al. also do not recommend treating luteal phase insufficiency, noting that such therapy simply gets women's hopes up, delays menses if they are not pregnant, and causes stress. However, some clinicians treat luteal phase insufficiency with progesterone supplement. supplementation. Progesterone supplementation starting two to three days after a positive LH surge predictor kit. Luteal phase support is a concern with ART due to suppression of endogenous LH release, which affects luteal function. Progesterone supplementation improves pregnancy outcomes in cycles with GnRH agonist or antagonist stimulation. Women having IVS 
Women having IVF usually take progesterone supplementation until eight to 10 weeks gestation, despite evidence that shorter durations of therapy have comparable live birth rates. A recent systematic review and meta-analysis found the optimal time to begin progesterone supplementation in IVS, IVF cycles is the day after oocyte retrieval and pregnancy rates are not improved by continuing supplementation longer than three weeks. The route of delivery for progesterone after an IVF cycle has also been the cause for debate. Although progesterone intramuscular injection of 50 to 100 milligrams in the gluteus maximus has been considered superior in its ability to quickly raise serum progesterone levels, it has some disadvantages. It generates lower endometrial progesterone levels than vaginal suppositories. The injections are difficult to self-administer because they must be injected into the gluteus maximus due to the progesterone being compounded in peanut, olive, or sesame oil. And the daily injections can be both painful and anxiety producing for patients. Providing an alternative to these injections has prompted researchers to evaluate the efficacy of vaginal progesterone therapy. Vaginal progesterone in the form of micronized progesterone suppositories, 100 or 200 milligrams twice per day, gel, 90 milligrams per day, or inserts, 100 milligrams twice or three times daily, actually supports the endometrium more quickly than the intramuscular injection. However, a recent systematic review and meta-analysis found intramuscular progesterone was associated with higher clinical pregnancy rates than vaginal progesterone. Oral progesterone does not work well because this formulation is cleared from the body too rapidly. Treatment for male factor infertility. Treatment for male factor infertility depends on the specific etiology. For example, certain hormonal conditions respond to medical therapy and surgical repair of a varicocele can be beneficial. Unfortunately, many causes of male factor infertility are either not identified or not amenable to treatment. In such cases, pregnancy may still be achieved with IUI, IVF, or ICSI. The precise timing in the menstrual cycle that is required for insemination and ART procedures can lead to increased stress. A man may feel greater pressure to perform by producing semen on a schedule, and a woman may feel more anxious about having intercourse at appropriate times and abstaining at appropriate times. Although there is a minimal amount of research on the male experience during fertility treatment, some results show that men report feeling stigmatized, ignored, and isolated, an important insight for clinicians who work with couples experiencing infertility. Assisted reproductive technology. The first IVF birth in the United States occurred in 1981, and today IVF is the most widely used ART procedure. More than 99% of the ART cycles in the United States are IVF. In this technique, the ovaries are hyperstimulated with gonadotropin medicine. Several mature ova are then surgically retrieved, placed in a laboratory dish, and mixed or injected with sperm. Fertilization takes place in vitro, after which one or more embryos are transferred directly into the woman's uterus for implantation. The number of embryos transferred into the woman's uterus is based on a variety of factors, including age, quality of embryos, previous success with infertility treatment, and whether or not this will be her only IVF cycle. 
Because IVF bypasses the fallopian tubes, it is commonly used in women who have tubal blockage from structural conditions or secondary to pelvic infection or scar tissue. It is also used for women who have not gotten pregnant with ovulation induction and IUI and when the etiology of infertility remains unknown. Gamete intrafallopian transfer or GIFT is another form of assisted reproductive technology. In this case, however, fertilization occurs in vivo rather than in vitro. With GIFT, the oocyte and the sperm are both placed directly into the fallopian tube via laparoscopy so that fertilization can occur. The woman must have at least one patent fallopian tube for GIFT to be successful. Women and men who are Catholic may choose this method over IVF because the Catholic Church condones GIFT but not IVF. Zygote intrafallopian transfer, ZIFT, is a process in which the ovaries are hyperstimulated and the ovary is surgically retrieved. They are then fertilized in vitro as with IVF. The zygotes are placed in the fallopian tube laparoscopically the day after fertilization. GIFT and ZIFT are rarely used and account for less than 1% of art in the United States. ICSI has been utilized since 1990 and has greatly increased the fertilization rates in cases of male factor infertility since that time. It is used in conjunction with IVF or ZIFT in which an oocyte is directly injected with one sperm. Historically, this procedure was indicated when the male partner had low sperm count or another form of male factor infertility, but it is increasingly being used with IVF procedures even when there is not a diagnosis of male factor infertility, such as in cases of pre-implantation genetic screening or if fertilization was very poor or did not occur in an IVF cycle. In 2016, ICSI was used in 66% of all IVF cycles. The likelihood that ART will be successful varies depending on a number of factors, most notably the woman's age. For U.S. women using fresh embryos from their own oocytes, the percentage of ART cycles resulting in live births is 31% in women younger than 35 years, 24% in women age 35 to 37 years, 15%, I'm sorry, 15.5% in women age 38 to 40, 8% in women age 41 to 42 years, 3.2% in women age 43 to 44, and 1.6% in women older than 44 years. Due to improving technology and cryopreservation techniques, the pregnancy rates for non-donor frozen embryo transfer cycles are actually higher than those for fresh em embryo transfer cycles across all age groups. All U.S. clinics that perform ART must report procedural characteristics and outcomes to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which publishes national and clinic-specific ART success rates. Third-party reproduction. Third-party reproduction refers to the involvement of a person who will not be raising the child, such as a sperm or oocyte donor or a gestational carrier. Third-party reproduction may involve insemination procedures with donor sperm for women who are single or who have female partners. ART is used for third-party reproduction with a donor, with an oocyte donor, which may be chosen when ART with autologous 
oocytes has been unsuccessful, often due to diminished ovarian reserve and or advancing female age. For example, a known or anonymous woman may donate her oocytes to a couple with infertility. The oocytes are fertilized in vitro with sperm, most likely from the male partner or intended father, then transferred to the female partner, embryo recipient, and intended mother. For gestation, although the oocyte Z mother is generally considered the legal parent, although not all states have laws to enforce this. I think that sentence is a little screwed up. Meeting with a therapist who specializes in third-party reproduction is recommended for anyone using donor gametes to discuss topics unique to this method of family building. A gestational carrier is a woman who carries a pregnancy for another person or couple but is not biologically related to the child. The individual or couple who contracts with the gestational carrier is referred to as the intended parents and plans to be the social and legal parents of the child. Having a gestational carrier requires ART and the intended parents may or may not be the source of the sperm and or oocyte. A genetic surrogate is a woman who carries a pregnancy that was conceived from her own oocyte for another person or couple. Genetic surrogacy is illegal in some states and is rarely done because it is ethically and legally complex. Complementary and alternative therapies. In the United States, 29 to 91% of individuals seeking infertility treatment use complementary and alternative therapies. However, only one-fourth of patients report use of these modalities to their clinicians. The most commonly used complementary and alternative therapies are exercise, vitamins and supplements, prayer, massage, chiropractic, and meditation. A systematic review examined complementary and alternative therapies for infertility and found four modalities had three or more studies demonstrating their beneficial effects. Acupuncture improves anxiety levels but has mixed results regarding improvement of pregnancy rates. Selenium supplementation improves semen parameters but data are lacking regarding pregnancy rates. Weight loss, consider for women with PCOS. Psychotherapy improves psychosocial well-being but has mixed results regarding improvement of pregnancy rates. The two most recent systematic reviews and meta-analysis of acupuncture use with IVS did not find improved pregnancy and live birth rates. Studies of the use of acupuncture in women who are not undergoing ART are lacking, but a randomized controlled trial of 1,000 women with PCOS showed no increase in live births with the use of acupuncture with or without clomiphene citrate or clomid, compared with control acupuncture and placebo medication. In one systematic review of acupuncture for men with infertility, there was improvement in some parameters of semen quality, but not in pregnancy rates. With acupuncture, however, the number of studies are small, and the studies were heterogeneous with a high risk of bias and poor quality reporting. A randomized clinical trial of 30 men with varicoceles and primary infertility found improvements in semen parameters in the acupuncture group compared with the control group whose members had a 
varicocelectomy. Although early studies seemed promising, antioxidant use by men and women with infertility did not increase pregnancy and live birth rates in more recent studies. Other options for individuals with infertility. Despite the array of infertility treatment, assisted reproductive technology, and third-party reproduction options now available, some people will not be able to have children by any of these methods. These individuals may choose adoption or child-free living. Adoption. Adoption is often a, an ideal option for individuals who are able to separate pregnancy from parenting. Those who choose to adopt can go through a public or private adoption agency, or they may work with an attorney and have an independent or private adoption. International adoption has become common as more people have begun to go outside of the United States to adopt children. Although more than 40% of women, including women who do and do not have infertility, consider adoption, only half take steps to pursue it, most likely due to the costs associated with adoption, the difficult application process, and other situational factors. Child-free living. Some individuals or couples eventually decide to live their lives without children. People without children may be referred to as childless, but this term can connote a loss or absence. The term child-free connotes that this state is a choice rather than something that occurred against their will. Granted, this situation was initially childlessness for those who would hope to conceive, but through the process of reconciling their loss, some people are able to come to a conclusion of their own volition to remain child-free. Evidence for best practice related to infertility care. The practice committee of the ASRM regularly publishes updated evidence-based guidelines for infertility care. Practices that offer ART are urged to follow these guidelines developed by the practice committee of the ASRM, practice committee of the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology, and practice committee of the Society of Reproductive Biologists and Technologists. These guidelines address necessary personnel, the specialized training and experiences required for personnel, ethical and experimental procedures, record-keeping, and informed consent. The guidelines are updated periodically and are considered the standard for delivery of ART care. Additional considerations. This section presents some of the complex considerations related to infertility and its treatment. Infertility can have psychosocial effects on the individuals and couples involved and on their larger families. The use of oocyte cryopreservation for both medical and non-medical reasons is increasing, and new technologies have made it possible for women to have children at later ages. The new technologies that are now used to both diagnose and treat infertility have created many ethical issues, psychological, family relationship, and social issues. Extensive research suggests that many psychological issues are related to infertility. Infertility is profoundly distressing for those experiencing it, and some studies have shown that stress anxiety and depression can reduce the chances of pregnancy with ART. Infertility is directly intertwined with family issues because it represents the inability to expand a family. Some people can even view it as an inability to have a family, implying that two people in a couple are not a family by virtue of not having children and further emphasizing a societal bent toward postnatalism. Pronatalism. 
Family gatherings can be extremely difficult for persons dealing with infertility because they may be directly confronted with their own inability to conceive, especially if young children are present. Family issues may also extend to other people beyond the couple, such as the parents of the couple with infertility who are experiencing loss related to not being grandparents. Family members may pressure couples with infertility with comments, such as, why are you taking so long to have a baby? As stated earlier, individuals experience infertility within a socially pronatalist context. As a result, women and men experiencing infertility are often viewed as abnormal or as not fulfilling their responsibilities to continue the human race. Women, by virtue of the general social approach to and view of women's roles, may experience feeling even more apparent than men. Complicated psychosocial issues can come to the fore surrounding a decision or inability to make a decision to stop infertility treatment. The introduction of, a new, of new treatments and potential for robust fertility insurance coverage in some states may raise hopes and make it difficult to stop treatment for fear that there will be a feeling of not having done everything possible to conceive, which could then make it difficult to resolve infertility later. In this situation, the clinician should also should advise patients about their options, including the pros and cons of continuing treatment. Also, couples should have financial discussions up front and set mutually agreed upon boundaries regarding the extent of treatment they will pursue and how much they will spend. Fertility treatments can be an enormous emotional and financial investment. Some evidence indicates that providing psychosocial interventions, particularly cognitive behavioral therapy to women and men being treated. Sorry, I lost my place here for a minute being treated for infertility can be beneficial in terms of both decreasing psychosocial, psychological distress and improving clinical pregnancy rates. Some infertility treatment centers now have a, men now have a mental health professional on site. This type of specialist can be helpful not only for patients, but also for the center's clinicians and staff because caring for women and men with infertility can be challenging. Fertility preservation. Advances in ART have created the opportunity for individuals to cryopreserve spermatozoa, oocytes, and embryos for future use. Initially, this technology was used by patients facing disease or treatment-related infertility, such as patients having chemotherapy and radiation for cancer or women undergoing oophorectomy for chemoprophylaxis. Today, increased awareness of the age-related decline in infertility Infertility has led to interest in oocyte cryopreservation among women who want to delay childbearing due to a variety of life circumstances, such as not yet having a partner or wanting to accomplish specific life goals before having children. Women should be informed that the age at which the fertility preservation took place is strongly related to the chances of success because oocyte age determines pregnancy rate. The Ethics Committee of the ASRM recommends that clinicians counsel patients about fertility preservation options and future reproduction prior to any gonadotoxic treatments or gender-affirming interventions that may affect fertility. Oocyte cryopreservation has evolved to the point that it is now an established component of ART. The experimental label was removed in 2012 as a result of the greatly improved success rates since its initial use and the reassuring 
safety data related to infants born after OO site cryopreservation. Not all women's healthcare providers engage their patients in discussions regarding fertility preservation. One study revealed that only 25% of women who underwent elective OO site cryopreservation were told about the procedure by their obstetrician <coughs> gynecologist, and 79% wished they had undergone the procedure earlier. A more recent study found that 40% of obstetrics and gynecology residents were willing to initiate discussions about oocyte cryopreservation, and 60% were not. Cryopreservation has complex financial, ethical, and legal considerations. As one example, individuals must give instructions about what should be done with their cryopreserved spermatozoa, oocytes, or embryos if they die, divorce, or experience other life changes. Costs of oocyte cryopreservation and storage can be prohibitively expensive and are frequently not covered by insurance. Also, the research is unclear regarding the number of oocytes to cryopreserve and the ideal age at which to have cryopreservation. Infertility in women in the later years of childbearing. With the increased use of technology to treat infertility, more options have been developed for women at the end of their childbearing years. The growing use of pre-implantation genetic screening and the availability of donor oocytes have enabled women in their mid-40s to 50s conceive and carry a pregnancy to term. Although this flexibility provides more opportunities for women, it also creates more complex decisions for women and their families. Obstetric risks and adverse neonatal outcomes are known to be higher when women become pregnant at later ages. At the same time, some women have circumstances that make them want to have children at older ages, such as delaying childbearing due to their career or lack of partner or stable relationship. More research is needed in this area. Ethical issues. Many of the ethical issues related to infertility occur as a result of the increase in use of technology. However, it is important to note that ethical issues existed prior to and may be independent of advances in infertility treatment. The expense of infertility treatment raises the question of whether these therapies will be limited to people with the financial means to afford them because the cost for such treatment, particularly recent advances in technology, are frequently not covered by insurance. Other ethical issues concern who the parents are in situations where, when extra embryos have been frozen and a couple subsequently divorces or in third-party reproduction regarding how the courts define the legal parent. Parties involved in various third-party assisted reproduction con conflicts may include the oocyte donor, the sperm donor, gestational carrier, and the intended parents. Another ethical dilemma can occur when several embryos are transferred into the woman's uterus and multiple embryos survive. The presence of multiple embryos may create a high-risk situation for a woman and the embryos, and the woman may choose to reduce to one or two embryos to decrease this risk. Multifetal reduction creates complex ethical and emotional issues. Preventing higher-order multiples by limiting the number of embryos transferred is advisable, and many clinics are following these suggestions by performing elective single embryo transfer to women with a favorable prognosis, such as patients younger than age 35. Gestational carriers and other couples who embryo, whose embryos 
were genetically analyzed prior to transfer. Ethical concerns have also arisen in relation to the ability to perform pre-implantation genetic screening and diagnosis with ART. After fertilization, three to five cells are removed from the trophoblast portion of a blastocyst, which is a day five to six embryo, and analyzed for genetic testing. This evaluation allows individuals with known inherited disorders to select non-effective embryos for transfer and permits the transfer of only euploid embryos, which can greatly increase the chance of implantation and reduce early pregnancy loss. In fact, the chance of successful pregnancy after the transfer of euploid blastocysts can approach 70%. This technology lends itself to questions about genetic engineering. The sex of the embryo can also be predetermined, which is useful for sex-linked disorders, but it is controversial when sex selection is performed for non-medical reasons. These are just a few of the many ethical issues that arise in relation to infertility care and treatment. There are no simple answers to these conflicts, but they warrant consideration, both from a societal perspective and on the level of caring for individual patients. The Ethics Committee of the ASRM regularly publishes reports that address ethical issues in infertility treatment. And this is the end of chapter 20.